This week is the last of our three weeks surrounding Easter. We've centered it around this theme. We've been uh, centering it around this theme, darkness to light. Darkness to light. And that was the title of the message last week, darkness to light. We talked about how God's design for every one of us is that we walk out of the darkness into his glorious light. We sang that song last week, and we sang it today. We, we run out of the grave into his glorious day. We talked about three things last week that Jesus said in his last moments on earth that bring us from darkness to light. And we're not going to mention all three of those right now. For that, you'll have to go back and listen on YouTube or the podcast or whatever. But we ended talking about Jesus' encounter with Mary Magdalene at the tomb after he'd risen from the dead. Now, there were only a few people that didn't desert Jesus while he was on the cross. There was only a few people that stayed close by. John, the beloved, is the only disciple that we know of that was near. And there was a group of women, and Mary Magdalene was one of those. If you remember last week, we talked about how Mary had much to be thankful for. She'd been delivered from a bunch of demons. And she went to the tomb looking for her Savior. And you'll have to go listen to, how, to the message for how we expanded on this. But at first, she saw Jesus after he'd risen, and she didn't recognize him. But in John 20, 16, it tells us that Jesus called her name. Remember, her back was turned, and Jesus called her name. And Mary Magdalene immediately knew the voice of her Redeemer. And the reason we went there for a moment is because I believe some of you that were here last week, you may have been listening close enough to hear Jesus call your name for the first time ever, for the first time in a long time. And if you did, friends, know that that was real. That was God speaking to you last week. I believe God wants us to seal that in our hearts. That's why we waited to take communion until this week. God wants to seal uh, in our hearts that Jesus himself is calling our name. Last week, we talked about how darkness turns to light. Today, we're talking about how once the light begins to come, the night is over, the sun begins to rise, it's daybreak. It's the title of the message, Daybreak. I'm sure there are some of you here who are up before the sun each and every single day. I will confess, I see the college kids down here, are like, no. <laughs> I confess I am not one of those people. At least not every day. Some people are amen to me. I appreciate that. That's good. There's plenty of days in my life when I've been up before the sun comes up. Um, usually a couple times a week these days, I'm up early enough to see the sun come up. Uh, when, in the summer, spring, summer, fall, whenever, when the weather is good, I like to golf. Um, often the best times to go golfing, especially as the valley gets full of more people, is as soon as the sun is up. If you can get there, right, if the sun comes up at like 7.02, and you can tee off at 7.05, that's the time to go. Because there's nobody out there, the weather's still cool, get done in a few hours, get home to the family. Uh, it's the best, it's quiet, man, it's the best time to go. Back when I was a more dedicated skier, same deal, we would get up early, right? If you're a dedicated skier, what's the best thing in the world? New snow, right? And if you're a dedicated skier, you want to get up there and get on the lift and get the new snow before anybody gets the new snow. So we'd be up early, and we'd be halfway up the mountain, up to Bogus, by the time uh, the sun began to come up. And at least twice a week right now, I'm driving towards Boise. We still live in Cuna, so I'm driving east, and I'm seeing the sun come up over the mountains. 
Tuesday mornings for men's Bible study. Sunday mornings, I'm up pretty early on my way here. And I'm seeing the sun rise over the top of the mountains. And there's nothing quite like seeing the light as it begins to peek over the top of those mountains. The moment when darkness turns to light. For me, it symbolizes the hope that all of us have. No matter how terrible or dark yesterday was, today is a new day. No matter how bad it was, no matter how rough it was, today is a new day. However, that is, believe it or not, that is not just a flowery saying, right? Every, you'll hear all sorts of motivational speakers say, today's a new day. But God tells us this in his word. There's a scripture that I absolutely love, describes exactly what happened in each one of our hearts when we accepted Christ. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says this. You're going to recognize this probably. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's not just a saying. His mercies are new every morning. And friends, if yesterday was a terrible day, his mercies are new today. If last week was a terrible week, his mercies are new this morning. Now, both the NIV and the New King James, which you might have, they say compassion, but I love how it says his mercies are new. You see, at daybreak each morning, God's new mercies, they burst over the mountains. But what does it mean for you and I, the people who come to church and and we want to know the Lord? I got two things this morning that I believe the Lord wants us to know about daybreak. And the first one is this. Oops. Daybreak means our questions are answered. Daybreak means that every single question you have is answered. I read a quote from this guy this week. Uh, he pastors at a church called New Life in Colorado Springs. His name is Brett Davis, and he said this. Chronic dishonesty about your doubts is a good way to lose your faith. When we are honest about our doubts, though, friends... God has answers for your questions. If you have doubts and you have questions, God has answers for them. In our, in our church and in the church, the Big C Church, doubt can sometimes be a thing we don't really want to talk about. We don't want to be challenged on, on stuff sometimes. And there are people all over this nation, all over this world, they're losing their faith because they're afraid to ask questions. They're afraid of the consequences if they ask questions. But when darkness had turned to light, Jesus had risen, and daybreak had begun. And God was letting us know as his people in no uncertain terms that he is not afraid of our questions. God defeated death and hell in the grave by sending his son to die and rise again. And for that reason, he is not afraid of our questions. Not just me saying this. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, John chapter 20, verses 24 and 29. That's what we're going to read out of first. This morning, I bring to the NIV, uh, the section title in your Bible probably says something like, Jesus appears to Thomas. It says this, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. 
Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Now, if you've been in church for a little while, you probably know Thomas as what? Doubting Thomas, right? That's what we always call him. I believe we can see a few important truths, though, as we examine this short passage. And I think, personally, uh, I don't like calling him that. Something to note before we get into this, though, is that Thomas was not the only disciple to doubt. I'm explain to you what I mean. Now, when Mary Magdalene, we talked about this last week, she, she went to the tomb, right? She discovered the stone had been rolled away. She didn't even look inside. She ran back, and she told the other disciples. All of them were there. Only two of them got up. In fact, it says the other ten thought she was talking crazy. Only two of them got up to go check. Jesus would later appear to most of the disciples in John chapter 20, right before this, just before this. John 20, 19 tells us, though, that they were in a locked room for fear of the Jews. Which tells them something about their state of mind. The, the other 10 disciples, uh, they didn't have it all figured out, maybe like sometimes we present it. But no matter what, for some reason, Thomas was not there that time. We don't know exactly why. Many think that Thomas, he left the group to be alone. He was upset by everything that had happened uh, some people think simply that he was just an introvert and he wanted to process all of this stuff on his own internally instead of being with the group. Some of you are wired that way. That's the way I'm wired, man. Sometimes I just want to go be by myself. Please don't talk to me. <laughs> well, I think through this thing that's earth shattering. Personally, I think that's a pretty plausible explanation, but no, none, none of that is in the Bible. We don't know why he went wherever he went. Um, we can ask him when we get to heaven. All we know for sure is that he wasn't there. Jesus appeared to the disciples the right before this, a week before this, and, and Thomas wasn't there. But I want us to see something first from this passage that in our day and age I think is incredibly important. And that's this. Thomas' friends didn't give up on him. Look at those first uh, few verses with me again, verse 24 through the first part of 26, you'll have to look in your Bible. I don't think I have it up there. But Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. The first part, verse 26, says this. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. So they come breathlessly to Thomas after they have seen him the week before when he wasn't there. They say, we saw the Lord. It's true. The rumors are true. And Thomas is somewhat defiant. Anyone ever been that person? Someone tells you something, and you're like, person in the back? Nah. <laughs> That's too much. I don't believe that. Kind of like Antonio was in the skit. You know, ah, zombies? <laughs> Last week, I don't know about that, right? He's saying, essentially, I will not believe it. You guys can say whatever you want. I will not believe it until I can see it for myself. I will not believe it until I can see it. 
Now, at this point, the other 10 disciples, they could have done what? Unfortunately, some in the church, and I would even say some of us in the church often do. They could have said, okay, Thomas, thought you were a true disciple of the Lord, but if you're not for us, you're against us. We don't need you around anymore. But a week later, they gather again. And what does it say in verse 26? This time, Thomas was with them. No matter Thomas's feelings a week prior, his friends had refused to write him off. No matter he went, no matter where he went, hiding in his house, hiding out in his secret place in the forest, wherever it was, his friends had refused to write him off. Doubtless, they were loving their friend who they have spent the last three years of their life with, right? If you read the Gospels, they spent three years with Jesus walking around the countryside witnessing him do these miracles. But the other ten disciples, surely they were believing that Jesus would come through for Thomas. They knew their Savior, and they knew their friend. Of course, we know Jesus did appear in the room again. I think God wants us to know this this morning, friends. When we include those who have big questions in our community, Jesus comes through 100% of the time. When we include people who have questions in this group of believers, Jesus will come through. We've said it a few times, you don't have to belong, or you don't have to believe to belong. But man, if someone comes in here, they're going to feel the love of Jesus, and they're going to know something is different. They can have questions. It's our job not to give up on them. That leads us to something else we can learn from Thomas. Thomas may have doubted, but he hadn't lost his faith. You see, Thomas, he was asking questions, but it seems like he kept his faith in the midst of the questions. I ask you this, if he didn't have any faith at all, why would he have come back? If he had no faith, why did he come back? If he had zero, he would have just stayed away. And this is so crucial in our modern culture because we often see people begin to question their faith in God. You know, if you stay up on culture and things like that, uh, the fancy word for it, or the trendy word is deconstruction. You see people talk about deconstructing their faith. Maybe they grew up in church and they're starting to explore their faith for themselves. They're trying to make sense of the Bible and Jesus and, and everything that happens in our modern world. But what happens sometimes is that we ask questions, but we actually never look for the answers. We, we ask questions, but we never start looking for the answers. We know that Thomas was asking questions, but also that he was searching far and wide for the answer. How do we know that he was searching for the answer? Because he showed up in the room a week later. He had another chance to be with his friends and they told him Jesus was there. He said, okay. What we can learn from this, friends, is even if we're struggling, even if we've got friends and family that are struggling, it is so important that we keep showing up. We show up to church and we drag them to church with us. Thomas's friends, they were willing to not write him off. Thomas was willing to keep searching himself for the answers. Next we see this. I love this about our Savior. Jesus was willing to engage with Thomas. We just read the story, right? Jesus appears in the room, and the other ten disciples, you can just kind of imagine what they're thinking. Yeah, we did this a week ago, and Jesus appeared in the room. I wonder if it's going to happen again. 
Jesus once again appears in the room. He first says, peace be with you. But then he addresses Thomas. I said a moment ago that uh, I believe God is not afraid of our questions. And this scripture right here is how I know. Jesus shows up in the room. And here is what he says to the one who doubted. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Man, that's an answer to a question right there. I believe, friends, God is not looking to punish us in our darkest moments. Instead, I believe he's looking to answer our questions. If you've questioned and you've struggled, he's not looking to punish you. He's kind and he's gracious. He sent his son because he's kind and gracious. And he's looking to answer your questions. He's looking to say, see the scars. See the grace. And in Thomas's case, we see this, right? Jesus is looking to answer the questions. And in Thomas's case, we see this. The question that he asked led him to an encounter with Jesus. The question that Thomas asked led him to an encounter. This is so powerful because, yes, Thomas was doubting when the others hadn't. But when he asked the question and he sought the answer, it led to a powerful encounter with his Savior. It needs to be said that no one had told Jesus that uh, Thomas had said what he'd said. Right? They didn't report on him. Oh, you know, Jesus, guess what? Thomas, that's, that, that guy Thomas, man, he does not believe. We don't see any of that. No one told him. But Jesus knew anyway. And how could Jesus have known anyway unless he was there all the time, unseen? And all of this leads to a situation similar to when Mary Magdalene heard the voice of Christ at the tomb. And the voice of his Savior, that's all that Thomas needed to hear. Notice if you read there, there's a debate about this, but notice if you read that it doesn't say Thomas actually needed to touch the wounds. He saw Jesus, he heard his voice, and Jesus said, go ahead. But seeing him and hearing his voice was what he needed. The sight and sound of the one who he'd seen beaten to death on the cross, alive and well before him, was proof enough. My Lord and my God. That's what Thomas says. He's expressing here to Jesus that he understands you're more than just a human. This is Thomas expressing the deity of Jesus. He's saying, I understand you're the son of God. And the encounter that Thomas had with Jesus, it answered every question he had in his heart. This is why, friends, it is so important that we as God's people, we invite people to church. Because the encounter can answer the questions. So important, friends, that we as God's people, we invite someone to coffee or to lunch. And we say, how you doing? Really, how you doing? And they can unload their troubles. Or we take them to the basketball game, right? And we have a chance to have a conversation uh, with them on the way home. Because the encounter answers the questions. I was sharing a story uh, with someone yesterday about uh, I I play basketball um, in CUNA with uh, some people that are of a, another faith that is rather well-known in the valley. And uh, they just do it. They like to go play and get away from their kids and, and have a couple hours. But um, I, I am 
I am the only uh, non-LDS person there usually. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had chances to have true and honest and crucial conversations with people who are LDS and everything in between about Jesus. Um, you know, sit there with guys who are holding back tears because God is doing something in that moment. The encounter answers the question. This is why we invite people to church because one encounter with Jesus can answer all those questions and you never know where that one encounter might lead. You never know. When you invite someone here, you take them to lunch, you take them to coffee and they encounter Jesus maybe through you. You never know where that encounter is going to lead. And you know what church history tells us? We don't hear this part very much is that Thomas, all of the disciples went out after this. Uh, they followed the Great Commission which we're going to talk about in a moment but History tells us that Thomas traveled as far as India from where they were. He preached the gospel. And he established up to seven churches. There's churches, if you go back over there these days, they will claim that they are, were planted by Thomas. You see, you never know what the one encounter might lead to. The final verse of this section is sees Jesus telling Thomas that he's blessed because he has seen and believed. And like we started out this section with, it should be noted that some of the other disciples, they had trouble believing until they saw as well. Until they saw the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. They just didn't have the courage that we know of to be outspoken about it. So friends, know this. At daybreak, we find the answers we're looking for. Even if you know you've experienced salvation or you've found Jesus recently, and you're still making sense of all of it. Jesus is ready and willing to answer all of your questions. I might not be able to answer them, but Jesus can answer all of them. And I can tell you this, the group of believers that's in this room, they will not give up on you. We'll keep inviting you here. And we'll keep giving you the donut holes. And we'll keep racing Pinewood Derby cars on Saturday mornings. We'll do all of that so God has a chance to answer our questions. Because if we're honest, we all have them. When we're honest about our questions, we have an encounter with Jesus. Number two is this. Daybreak means there is new direction. We're going to talk for a minute from Matthew 28 if you want to get your Bibles ready. We've spent a substantial amount of time talking about the effect that the light has on the darkness. After all, it can be really easy to get lost in the dark. A lot of times, right, if you, uh, I've been doing this, right, I've been driving and I feel like, man, I'm never going to find my way back to civilization and I get lucky and I do find my way back to civilization. I don't get murdered by an axe murderer, right? I find my way home. And the next day I drive through the same spot and I'm like, oh, this wasn't so scary. It can be easy to, lost, to get lost in the dark. Also, it can be uh, very difficult for others to find you when it's dark. Talking about skiing a moment ago, ski season just ended, and I was able to take my boys up there skiing one time. But before we had little kids, um, and this I don't know even know if we had uh, adopted Christina yet. I used to go skiing all the time by myself because my wife's an accountant, and she would work, 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 and I would finish at the church, and I would load my skis up, and I go skiing at night. And I like to get up there before the sun went down because there's these certain runs I like to go on where there's no lights. They have some lights up there, but. The ones that I wanted to go on were where the untouched snow was. And I knew these secret spots, secret to me, right, where I like to go. Where I, Even if uh, it hadn't snowed for a little while, I usually could find some snow that no one had skied. 
And uh, I went down this certain spot. If you know your way around up there at all, you go up chair three, and then um, it's the bottom of this run called Tempest. And uh, you go down it, and you poke through the trees, and there's this one spot I always love to go in this kind of glade. And it snowed a whole bunch. And I'd been through there a couple times already, and this was going to be my last one, but the sun went down. The problem is, if you're back there on, on the back side of this, and some of you know this, if you're back there and they shut down the lift before you get down there, you'll be stuck. And they put a sign down there that says, if you're stranded, call this number. But you better believe they're going to call you, they're going to charge you if they have to come rescue you because you were dumb enough to be down there when it got dark. My parents, I don't know if they've heard this story. They wouldn't like it if they had because they didn't like it when I went by myself. But I was, uh, it was getting dark and I wanted to go hit this one spot one more time, bottom of Tempest, right? And I go cruising down. It's pretty steep. Go cruising down there and I get in the trees and I, I keep my bindings somewhat loose. I don't want to tear up my knees, right? And went off this little bump and down, sank into this big thing of snow up to, above my knees and the ski came off. It just happens when you ski, right? It doesn't happen to me very often anymore, but ski came off. And in the light, it would have been no problem. But here's the thing. I knew the lift was going to close soon. Um, and I, you know, I went to find my stuff, and my ski was buried. It was like several feet of snow back in there, and it was in the trees, and nobody could see me, and not many people came through this little area. And so I know I had probably like 30 minutes tops before they shut the lift down. So I'm just frantically digging for my ski because I know this. Nobody can see me down there. If I do have to walk, I have to walk a long ways in the dark and cold. So I'm frantically digging for this ski. Someone have a picture of it. I couldn't find it. But I finally did find it, and I was dumb enough to take the time to take a picture of the ski because it's like the pit I had to dig was like almost as tall as a ski. I'm trying to get down to the lift to get back in time before I get stranded, and I'm dumb enough to take time to take a picture, I guess, just chalk it up to, you know, not being very smart. But the thing is, in the light, it would have been no problem. In the light, someone would have seen me. They would have seen the guy digging for a ski back there. In the light, it would have been no problem because I would have had all day to track that thing down and get down to the lift. But in the dark, there is some urgency. And that's the way it works. In the light, we can see clearly in the dark, we have some urgency. Now, the disciples, before the Great Commission that we're about to read, they had just experienced a profound time of darkness. We read last week there was three hours of dark in the middle of the day when Jesus was crucified. Three hours of dark in the middle of the day. So there was literal darkness. But also the Savior that they had followed for three years, that they had given up their lives for, all of these guys had given up their occupations, they'd given up their lives, he was now gone. Until that memorable morning when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and Jesus said her name. Darkness had gone and light had come. Daybreak had brought new direction. You can turn your Bibles, Matthew uh, chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. If you've been in church, you're going to know this scripture. We call it the Great Commission. I read now the NIV this morning. Verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. There's that doubt word again. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Notice it mentions there that all 11 disciples are now present. 
They would soon find Matthias to replace Judas, so there would be 12 again, but for now there's only these 11. And what we have here are the last words that Jesus would say to the disciples on earth. And if you notice, only Jesus is recorded speaking. The disciples for once are are not talking and they're listening. Daybreak has come and Jesus is giving them new direction. I want us to see uh, just quickly here a few specific things that happen in these verses, how they apply to me and to you and to Engage Boise, our church today. One of those is this. They went to where Jesus had instructed them to go. You see in verse 16 right there, right? Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. He asked, he asked, asked them to come to Galilee, and that's where they spent much of their time with him when uh, they were part of his earthly ministry. It probably wasn't a specific mountain, but just a general area where they had been with Jesus. It says often in the Gospels that Jesus withdrew by himself or that they withdrew together to pray. They'd spent a lot of time with Jesus in this area, so it makes sense that he would tell them to go there. And it was home for many of them. It would be like those of us that grew up here and we go up in the foothills, right? It it was home for them. They knew their way around up there. Jesus had some important things to tell them, but first they had to go where he had asked them to go. By now, they knew he'd been resurrected. They'd even seen him in various cases. Surely there were some of them that were anxious to find out what was next. You think about Peter, right? The things we read about Peter in the New Testament. He says, Lord, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll die for you. And Jesus says, are you sure? He says, yeah, I'll die for you. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. And he does. Peter's the one who takes out his sword and lops the guard's ear off, right, when the guards come to arrest Jesus. Peter's that guy. So you imagine Peter's like, go to the mountain. He's, he, appear, he rose from the dead and he appeared in the room and he wants us to go wait on the mountain. What are we doing here, right? They're human guys, right? They, they had their emotions, but that what, that's what Jesus had for them to this point. Go to the mountain. Go to the mountain and wait for me. But it was on that mountain where the disciples would receive new direction. I want to encourage you, friends, your walk with Christ. When Jesus is calling you to go somewhere, even if it is not where you'd want to go or where you would decide to go on your own, do what he's asked you to do. God is calling you to go somewhere. Go there. I can tell you for sure one place that Jesus is asking you to go. 100% certain, because later on in the New Testament, it says very clearly, do not give up on the habit of meeting together, but encourage one another more and more each day. I'm not telling you in a legalistic way that you can never, ever, ever, ever miss church, but I am saying to do what it says in Hebrews, make church a habit and don't ever give up on it. It's not perfect. No church is perfect. This church is perfect. The one across town isn't perfect. None of them are perfect. Because they have people like you and me in them. If I'm in a church, you can pretty much guarantee it's not going to be perfect. But the Bible says about church, do not give up on the habit of meeting together. But encourage one another more and more each day. So if you don't know where to go, go to church, be around other believers. When we go where God asks us to go, often we receive new direction, uh, just a illustration I've used for a long time, right? If you go to a riverbed, you ever been in a dry riverbed, right? 
You go to a dry riverbed, my granddad's property, he had part of the Bigwood River on there in the winter, it would dry up. If you go to a riverbed, you can tell one thing. Uh, well, you know a couple things for sure. One of them is that water has been there, and water will be there again. Go stand on that riverbed long enough, water's going to come. And if you are looking for direction from God, go to the place where you know God is. Do not give up on the habit of meeting together. When we go where God asks us to go, often we receive new direction. Something else that we see here in verse 17 says they worshiped. When they saw Jesus, they worshiped him. And it's important to see that now that they all see Jesus as something different than they did before. If they hadn't experienced it yet, they're experiencing the same thing that Thomas had. They're now understanding that he is truly the Son of God. They're understanding his deity. Just imagine that scene, right? They say, well, he told us to go to the mountains, so let's go, you know, we'll go sit on that rock where we always found him. Hmm. 11 guys that are good buddies, and they're like, well, we're here. What's next? This is usually the part when Jesus randomly shows up, and then he does. He appears, right? The disciples went where Jesus had asked them to go. And can you picture being there? Seeing him appear and finally putting all of the pieces together. You're sitting there with your uh, 10 best buddies, and you're saying, he did say he was going to rise again. You remember when we were walking on that road and he said he was going to rise again? You remember when he kept saying he was going to defeat death and we didn't know what he meant? He did say that he was God's son. He is the one that we hoped would come. It all comes together for them in that moment. And their response was simple. It says here in Matthew 28, the disciples worshipped him. And friends, when daylight breaks... God does something in your life. There is a time to worship him in spirit and truth, and that's one of them. Yes, the stress of life waits right outside the door. I'm not naive to the fact that we're all going to walk out of here no matter how we feel the Lord. We're going to walk out of here, and life waits outside the door. Someone might cut you off at the light, and you might be tempted to, to yell at them or something, right? But when Jesus calls you somewhere and he meets you there, that's a time just to spend in his presence. Jesus met him there, and they worshiped him. But look what the, the very next three words are. They worshiped him, but some doubted. Keep in mind how many disciples are here. Eleven, right, which means Thomas is here. I would guess that Thomas is not one of the doubters. Thomas had been brave enough to say something earlier. Thomas had got his questions out of the way. He'd had the encounter with Jesus, and Jesus had answered. But these guys are human, right? Uh, just like you and I. In studying this week, I discovered something really interesting. The verb that is used here for doubt is distazo, the Greek word, uh, when it talks about doubt. It's only used one other time in the New Testament. And that time is the story when Jesus walks to the disciples on the water in the midst of the storm. It's one of my favorite stories, and I'll speak on it sometime. But he sends the disciples out ahead, and they're in a boat, not a big boat. It's a boat they row. They're on the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a big lake. A huge storm comes up, and it says they're rowing and rowing and rowing, and they're not making any progress, and they're stuck in the storm. And Jesus, who had gone to pray, he walks to them on the water in the middle of the night. Does anyone remember what the disciples say first? It's a ghost. 
But Peter, the one we were talking about earlier, Peter says, if it's you, call me out of the boat. And Jesus says, it is. And Peter gets out and he walks on the water. But he begins to focus on the wind of the waves instead of Jesus. And Peter begins to sink and Jesus grabs his hand. And do you remember what Jesus says in Matthew 14, 31? Why did you doubt? And that word for doubt is the same as this one right here in Matthew. It's the only two times that it's used. Immediately following, though, he, Jesus says to Peter, why did you doubt? They climb back in the boat, and it says in Matthew 14, everyone worships him. It's the same word, and the only other place it's used. So in the boat and at the Great Commission, we see worship and we see doubt right next to each other. Man, so what can we take from that? We can take from this mention of doubt that this is more them trying to reconcile what they have now been convinced of, what they know to be true. That Jesus is who he says he is, the son of God, the risen savior. But also with the human question of how is this happening? We saw the guy get killed and here he is in front of us and he's telling us to do these things. And if you need any more proof that trying to reconcile human life with the salvation of Jesus can be hard, you have it right here with the 11 disciples in the Great Commission. They worshiped him, but some doubted. The four verses that launched the church as we know it, the reason we're here today, because the disciples went from this space and planted churches. They worshiped, but some doubted. Next, Jesus gives them this command. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. He says, go and tell others about me. You see, friends, when daylight breaks, the sun comes up, we're given new direction. And go, it's a simple word with just two simple letters, but it takes a lifetime to accomplish. Jesus was telling the 11 guys assembled before him here, he's saying, head out to the surrounding countries and spread the gospel. This is the job I'm giving you. You were with me on earth. I'm giving you this job. You go spread the gospel. We talked a few moments ago about how Thomas, doubting Thomas, took those words to heart, planted seven churches. And when daybreak comes, just like those guys, we are given a new mission. And that mission is simply to go. Often, though, we make it way more complicated than it needs to be. And people all through the Bible do this. Oh, Lord, you can't be asking me to do this. Moses said this, right? I, I'm not a very good speaker, Lord. You don't want me. Gideon said this in the wine press, right? Ah, oh, no, yeah, I'm too weak. No one's going to listen to me. I'm the weakest of my family. That we often think of go as far-flung primitive countries. And certainly it's necessary to preach the gospel in other nations. Though very few are called to do that as a vocation. My wife's reading a book by some uh, local missionaries that have all sorts of crazy stories. They were called to missions. If you've never been on a short-term mission trip, I'll just take it aside. I would encourage every one of you, go on a short-term mission trip at some point. If you don't know what that is, you can go for a couple weeks and serve in another country. But beware, it might change your life. You go serve some other people. You go to a country different than this one where they don't have the privileges that we have. Beware, it might change your life. I took a bunch of teenagers on one to, uh, I've been on several, but I took some teenagers on one to inner city Atlanta, Georgia. 
and we stayed in the, what used to be like the main crack house in downtown. We heard gunshots every night, and there was helicopters flying over looking for criminals all the time, and it was crazy. I've been to foreign countries, and this one in Atlanta was the most intense one I've ever been on in my life. And there are teenagers I took on that thing, and man, I, some of them, we, I think we had to raise $650 each. And I drugged them kicking and screaming to fundraisers to go on that thing because I knew if they went that it would change their life. And they're serving God today because they went on that thing. Go on a short-term mission trip, but beware. It might change your life. We think of Go as getting up on a stage and speaking to thousands of people like uh, Greg Laurie is doing at Taco Bell Arena or Extra Mile Arena. And certainly God calls people to do that. But there's plenty of Go those two little letters that happen right here in our own city, even on our own property every single week. In fact, there's this scripture that every time I read it, it just about burns a hole in my heart. John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Ah, but Lord, I got this important thing to do. I'll do this later. Huh? John, how are they going to know you're my disciple if you love one another? Really excited to mention in this part of the message about an opportunity we have as Engage Boise to love our community. Partner with this local organization called Stanton Healthcare. Um, don't know who they are. I encourage you to go look them up. Stanton Healthcare is a pro-life organization, and their focus is keeping women from terminating a pregnancy. They've got a, a piece of land that's strategically placed, and uh, they will go to young women and say. Um, uh, do not end this pregnancy. And if you don't, we'll help. We'll help you find a place for the baby to be adopted. If you decide to keep it, we'll give you all the supplies you need for the first two years of the baby's life. We'll provide an ultrasound for you. We'll give you all of the medical care. I got in contact with them this week, and I've known the, the lady that runs it. Is, I knew her in high school. And they told me that a need they continually have is for baby formula because they're always giving it out to single moms. So here's what we are going to do is engage, engage Boise. We're going to collect formula for Santa Healthcare throughout the month of May. So starting next week, you're going to see an area out here where you can set it down. And we're just going to collect as much as we can. And we're going to take it down to them. So we're going to say, we believe in the ministry that you're doing. And we want to be a part of you helping uh, young women raise their babies. And we're tangibly going to love on a segment of our community that needs it. You might not be able to go get up on stage with Greg, Greg Laurie tonight. Might not be able to go to inner city Atlanta tomorrow, but you can bring a box of formula for Santa Healthcare. We've also got a couple mothers we know of specifically in our community that we can go towards and we can help. And we'll be letting you know about those needs in, in the coming weeks. We won't tell you who they are publicly, of course. We support missions, of course, you know, foreign missions. You can see those plaques out there on the wall. And we'll continue to do that and hopefully we'll expand it. But we're going to start with those just outside our doors. As I've said to you a couple times, 7,000 single family residences within one mile of this church. Finally, as we close today, Jesus, he wanted the disciples to know this one last thing. Because what the disciples were probably thinking is the same thing that you and I may have thought if we had been standing there. Lord, I hear what you're saying but you keep appearing out of nowhere in rooms and then disappearing. And I get the feeling that you're about to do the disappearing thing again. 
I get the feeling you're gonna leave. What does he say to them last? Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, at daybreak, the light has come and it's come to stay. His mercies, friends, they're new this morning because his light has come and it has come to stay. At daybreak, we can see where to go and the others can see us and we receive this promise, the same one he makes to the disciples, that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. And when we accept him and begin to live as God asks us to live, then Jesus walks right next to us. And it says here, he is with us. Always. It's not just us uh, obeying what he says to do, but is Jesus, because the light has come, navigating the highs and lows of this life with us, saying, I know, son or daughter, you have questions, but I have answers. He's calling us to the mountain so he can speak. He's being with us when we doubt, and he's answering those questions with patience and grace and strength. He's given us authority, like it says in Matthew 28, to love in his name and to tell others about him. Giving us strength to live a life that's holy in the midst of a world that has gone completely 100% sideways. Surely he's with us always into the end of the age. Matthew chapter 28. Bow your heads, close your eyes as we get ready to close. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your people. Thank you for Engage Boise. I thank you that you have made us for a time such as this. I'm not even going to ask them to to raise a hand or anything, Lord, but I pray for those in this room today who, uh, they've got big questions. They've experienced hard things in their life. They don't understand why the things that have happened to them have happened to them. They can't reconcile how good you are with the bad things they see in this world and they've got big questions. Lord, I pray this very moment that you would have an encounter with them. Lord, I pray they would have a burning in their hearts and they would know that it is you this morning. That they go from this place and they would not be able to shake what your word says. They go from this place and they know they need to be back here the next time it's open because your presence was here and you spoke. Lord, for those that have big questions and they're brave enough to ask them and they're brave enough to seek the answers, I pray that you would answer them today. And if not today, you take them on the journey to find those answers. But I thank you for this incredible church you've given us and the privileges you've given us. And I ask you to help us as we move forward and we, uh, we look to bless this pro-life organization in our valley. I pray that we would be a huge blessing to them, that you provide for them beyond all they can ask or imagine, and you would use us to do that. I pray that Engaged Voice would be known as a light in this community, in this city that in Boise people will know that if they need to know Jesus, if they need help, they can find him here. And Lord, thank you that no matter what it is that we face, surely you are with us always to the end of the age. 
Would you let every person from this, this place, Lord, go with your grace and your mercy and your presence? Would you let your grace and your compassion rule our lives, Lord, we pray these things in your name.